If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody, it's episode 394 of the Severe MMA Podcast, my name is Sean Sheehan and today I am joined by Harry Powell to talk about uh, some fights. Graham rang me, oh no, I texted Graham yesterday, I was like, Graham, podcast tomorrow at 1 o'clock, he rang back and he's like, I- I'm actually on the way to Brazil. I'm like, what? You could have fucking told me. And he's like, oh, I did tell you like six weeks ago on a, on a brief conversation. Like, oh, I'm thinking of going to Brazil. Like, that's just, just plan your fucking Christmas around that there, Shani. But anyway, I was grand money joking. Like, I kind of caught her, did not, but I've turned over. Anyway, Harry jumps in today and, uh, and joins me on the podcast uh, to talk about uh, some things, as Harry would say. Uh, before we get to that though, let me tell you that today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped, and I just closed down my read, but now I got it back, and it's never too late to play holiday music, and it's never too late to think about gifts as well. I've actually ordered some stuff, not from Manscaped, from some other places, and uh, they haven't come yet, and we're like nine, what, seven days out for Christmas, so we might need some making up to do, and you could do that maybe with Manscaped as well, order it now, give it to the person after Christmas, and they'll be, you know, they'll be absolutely delighted. Uh, and you can get all that stuff by using the promo code SevereManscape.com and getting 20% off and free shipping. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0, that's the one to go for. It's the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. And there's everything needed to help you deck the halls from your face to your balls in time for mistletoe season. The uh, Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling performance package plus extra Ultra, extra, ultra, ultra premium body wash, ultra premium two one shampoo and conditioner, my absolute favorite. The ultra premium deodorant as well. It's the best way to smell fresh from your Santa hat to your candy cane. We all know about the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer and the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, the advanced proprietary skin safe technology, or the other way around, proprietary advanced skin safe technology, uh, to protect your delicate presence. It is the 4000K LED light also, so you can shine the way for Rudolph, Prancer, Dancer, Blitzen, and all the rest of them. But smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The crop preserver and ball deodorant, uh, ball deodorant, and the crop reviver ball toner can solve stank problems all day long. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. So that's it. The platinum package 4.0 sitting on the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And also, you could throw in the brand new body buffer as well. Need to get one of them myself. Apparently, it makes exfoliating easy, and it's a, a lot cleaner than an old loofah. Which is absolutely brilliant. So get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code severe at manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code severe manscaped. Get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. Harry, thank you very much for joining me today. Um I entered last night's card 
a bit positively. You know, usually I'm these days, not usually, but a lot of the time it's like, oh, it's your fight night card. Let's just kind of kill time here and uh, we'll, we'll wait for the pay-per-view card to come up in a couple of weeks. But I was like, this is a good card. Like, Man LK was on it. The main event I thought should be a bit of a banger. There were some other fights. And it turned into, like, a great middle of the cards. Terrible prelims. And the last three fights, apart from... Uh, the Albazi fight wasn't bad and the finish was good but not the most exhumulating exhumulating yes I'm using that word exhumulating whatever it means fighting the world uh, overall a man a enough card a few talking minds from it though but what was your overall sense of the card I kind of agree to be honest like I went into this card and I thought actually there's a ton of bangers on here a ton of bangers and whilst I thought Manal Cape did perform well and I thought Rinav Fakradinov did pretty well as well, you know, out Brian Battle, Brian Battle. Um, there was then, you know, the weirdness with the Hafa Garcia stuff and the Dom Cruz conversation. And I thought Saeed versus Saeed Yukub was fantastic. I really enjoyed it, but it was fantastic from a, a watching experience rather than from an analytical experience. Um, and we can get into that at some point. I agree that the middle of the card was was brilliant. There were some really, really fun fights. And then I actually think that the co-main event was was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I understand from from your points that, and, and I agree with your points from a judging perspective that Armand didn't do enough of the actual striking things. But from an analytical perspective, it was fantastic to see what Armand was able to use and uh, produce in a fight against somebody as skilled as uh, Demir Shmogulov. But the main event was a stinker. An absolute stinker. Indeed, I would. I would tend to agree. Let's. Last week we talked about the judging first, and we talked about the analytics or maybe the quality seconds. We'll do. We'll do it the opposite way around uh, this time. We'll talk about uh, the fights first, then we we'll talk about the judging second. I want to talk about Saryukin again uh, versus Ishmagulov, right? Because Saryukin, he's he's fallen into that old trap. I saw someone. I, I think was. Um, Oh God, his name Connery Bush uh, from uh, from Heavy Hands mentioned how Saryukin kind of won this fight because he was a better athlete and really didn't need any more after that. And I thinking back on it, I kind of tend to agree with it. But he has so much more. It felt like he could win the fight a lot there. Now, having said that, it's uh, I was talking to a few people as I and I'm sure you'll say it as well. This fight is going to look uh, this win is going to look better and better and better all the time for Saryukin because of how good Ishmagulov is. And even now, I think I haven't seen you know watched Ishmagulov before. It's it's still a, a good win. But from Saryukin's performance alone, if you're just to isolate his own performance. It just feels like there's a lot more to give there in terms of like he dominated a lot of the position, and you know we won't get into the judging yet, but he he had control of a lot of the fight, and he just didn't kind of kick on like and not even kick on like you know we we've uh, had many chats about his Alessandro and another one coming up in, in speaker's corner in terms of oh you know he's he's winning but he needs to up the output or you know put on a spectacular performance to be more entertaining. It wasn't that from Taryukin. It was so close that like. Are so uh, few and far between in terms of the strike and the uh, strikes and the effective grappling that he was putting on that it made it closer of a fight than probably had any business to be. And you, you're thinking for someone who is 22 fights into their career now, a guy who was ranked, a guy who people are talking about. Um, you know, he, he obviously fought. He fought and lost to Gamrat, and you know, one guy went forward and the other guy stayed in in place, and now. 
he will go forward again. So if we're talking about him going forward to a guy who's, you know, going to be fighting the Gamrats again, the Benil Dariushes, and then the, the Chandler, Poirier, Gaethje, Oliveira, um, Mikachevs, and I know obviously he's fought Mikachev for but the championship Mikachev. I think that is something you need to pinpoint in someone's game that, like, if you're going to win these fights and win it clearly, you need to do that. This is not number 12 you're fighting anymore. This is number one, two, three, four, and five in the division. And to be and to beat them, you need to be the best version of yourself. You need to do everything possible that you can to beat them. Because look, 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 if you're fighting, say, someone like a Dustin Poirier, right? And you do what Saryukin did to him, you're, you're probably going to lose that fight. Because the fight's going to be 90 seconds standing up. Dustin Poirier is going to hit you with a jab. He's going to hit you with a one-two down the middle. He's going to hit you with a big left hand, and he's going to bring the pressure. He's going to get tired in probably the second round, but then he's going to get come back. And if it's a five-round fight, he's going to come back and come back and come back and never give in. And I think if you are sorry, you can you need to make it pay. That's the, what made Habib special. It's what makes uh, Islam special that they have the ability to make you pay with all that dominance and. Not, I'm not saying that Saryukin does not have that, and we've seen it before. He absolutely he do, he does have it. But last night, just to me, that was the one thing that was lacking. And although it was a brilliant technical performance and a brilliant wrestling performance and a brilliant uh, dominating performance, I just felt like it was missing something uh, when you think about climbing the levels. What, what did you think? So I think that I'm actually going to... I'm going to agree and disagree. So I'll agree in that when he moves up the rankings now, I think Armin Saryukin needs to evolve again. I think he was abundantly better than everyone he's fought. Obviously, Islam Bakashev is Islam Bakashev, right? Fine. And we talk about this uh, a lot when a prospect comes in and they fight a really, really good guy like a Matoish Gamrat. And it's a close fight. It's a good fight. It's an entertaining fight. But you just slip up and you, it doesn't go your way, that's fine. That's no problem. That's a brilliant learning experience for that fighter. And you go back, you restructure things and you say, okay, well, now I know the level that I need to be in order to be at that upper echelon. Fine. In this fight, I think I have to give the credit to Demir Shmagulov as to why in some fashion that, uh, sorry, you can, wasn't able to get to the next stage of effective grappling or was able to do some of the striking things that we'd seen. My read from the fight was that Armin looked great when he was kicking Demirish Magulov. One, because he knows that Demir is not going to take him down, or if he is, he's very, very confident in his ability to scramble and get back up. But when he tried to throw hands with Demir, Demir is such a fundamentally sound fighter and the range was causing a big problem for Armin Saryukin. Whilst Armin was moving his head in the right way, the range and the pressure and the great fundamental footwork from Demir Shmogulov made it really hard for Armin to close the distance and land without getting landed on himself. I think we saw throughout rounds one and then a bit of round three that Demir landed some really clean right hands and some really nice check left hooks when Armin tried to close the distance. That's why we saw Armin go from bundling in to find double unders and driving him against the fence to going head outside singles and transitioning from there. I think whilst it was an intelligent game plan for Armand Saryukin to utilize the grappling and he grappled very, 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 very well. What we didn't see was him be able to take the backs two hooks and really look for chokes. He got some jaw cranks and whatever, but that shouldn't score because it's not effective, right? There's no way lads are going to tap to that when you're so misaligned and you don't have a deep enough grip of the, of the jaw. 
you see lads tap to draw cranks fine, but they are fundamentally different mechanically, uh, fundamentally different in the mechanical setup to what Armand Sorikin had last night. Um, but I have to give credit to Demirish Magula for keeping himself safe enough in that fight. It felt as though to me, Demir was like, okay, when we're on the ground, I need to make sure I don't lose. I'm not going to win here, but I need to make sure I'm not going to lose. And then when he gets on the feet, he's like, okay, now I can try to win. And that to me was, 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 was where the fight went. And I'm not saying that Armand shouldn't do more in those ground positions to land effective damage. And that will hopefully help him to either progress his position to effective grappling or it's just impactful striking, right? Fine. But I do think that from my experience of just rolling, when you're trying to roll with somebody that purely does not want to get submitted, it's really, really hard to submit them. Yeah, that's true. And I think the more we go on in MMA, I think more people will actually fight that way in terms of, like, I, I always find it weird. Years ago, we used to see a lot more people, say, getting into the full guard, then pulling down on the neck, pulling them in, you know, doing kind of the, the figure four on their hands and holding people in and looking for a stand-up. We don't really, I, I'm not sure why we don't see that anymore. I'm really, I'm not sure what we just look like. If Ishmagul had done that a couple of times last night, just go to your full guard, go to a defensive position, hold him down, and whoever who had probably Herb Dean or someone ref, and he's going to stand that up. I, I honestly like, and I, I, even uh, the point that you're making there, he he didn't do it in that sort of way, but the fact that he was like like that second round, I thought, and um, we'll, we'll talk about the scoring in a while, but but <sighs> that was so close because he was so defensive and he didn't take much. And because Saryukin didn't land much, it's one of those fights that it's just, uh, it's a knife edge because of the way maybe both of them fighting. And I, I just, I wonder, Saryu, like, I, my main point here is, right, a guy like Saryukin or anyone who's in a fight like that, I wonder they're going back, looking at it, saying, right, this is not just I need to improve my jab, I need to improve my right hand, I need to improve my entries, I need to improve, you know, my, my you know, my, my chain wrestling or whatever. Are they saying I need to improve my overall tactical game to take this from a fight which could have been 29, 28 to like a 30, 25 maybe, you know? Uh, and that's one thing I'm interested in. We'll, we'll jump back to that fight in a second. We'll talk more about the judge and just let's talk about the main event for a second. Jared Cannonier and, uh, and Sean Strickland. Look, if there was ever a middleweight fight, this this was it. Uh, it was uh, it was poor. It was, like at some stage, so do you know what? Sometimes we give too too much respect to fighters. Sometimes, and you know, we 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 this significant strike stat that comes out and all. A lot of these Sean Strickland strikes are just nothing. They are just nothing. Like he's tiny. And now he can hit you with a good jab. He can hit you with a good right hand or a good, uh, well, I was going to say leg kick. I think he didn't throw any leg kicks in the, in the whole fight. But he can't he can punch. But he just doesn't like 99% of the time. And it's not even like, oh, you're getting in there with um, another professional fighter and you're not hurting him or anything like that. Like low level fighters wouldn't be hurt by what Sean Strickland does. Now they might after five rounds because he keeps touching him and touching him and touching him and touching him. But a guy like Jared Cannonier or say like an Adesanya or a Pereira, whoever, that's just never, ever, ever going to do anything. You talk about effective striking. Like some of his, the vast majority of his striking is so ineffectual. It's just, it's there's just nothing there. And then for Cannonier on the other side of it, it, it wasn't until about two and a half rounds in where he actually started like walking into space, seeing Sean Strickland was straight up and then throwing his strikes from maybe a foot and a half closer in distance. Whereas in the first couple of rounds, even though they were close, and this whole fight was close, everything apart from the fifth, 
I think, was razor tight. Even the fifth could go either way because Strickland actually opened up a bit and landed a few shots. But the first four rounds, it was basically just Sean Strickland showing a load of jabs, missing with half of them. Half of them are just rubbish. And then Jared Cannonier attempting to up his out for, uh, output from previous fights, but failing to land on most of his shots. And when he did land, he landed well. He was landing the, the, the better shots. And when he was able to come inside that step, he was doing better. But it was, it reminded me, do you know what? <laughs> and only on one side. But remember McGregor versus Alvarez? If you watch back that fight, right? Eddie Alvarez punches the gorilla on McGregor's chest about a thousand times in that fight. Just keeps, but that chest must have been red raw after Eddie Alvarez missed on Conor McGregor's face and hit the gorilla's face. Over and over and over again. And it just felt like Jared Cannonier was fighting that way throughout the fight. And it was actually not down to Sean Strickland like it was down to Conor McGregor in that fight. It was just, he was too far out. And it turned into this fight where just, it, it was blow for blow throughout the whole thing and not in an exciting way. There was like almost no jeopardy in terms of someone getting knocked out in this it was the exact opposite of the uh, uh what's his name the, the australian chap uh, matthews versus matthew Schimmelsberger versus jake matthews that felt like a fight that the whole fight someone was about to get knocked out this fight was just oh it, forget about judging forget about all that it was just low quality stuff proper proper low quality stuff and these lads what rank number three and number seven in the world at middleweight if there was ever a fight to prove middleweight is shite, this was it. It was horrid stuff. What did you think, Harry? Horrid, horrid Harry! Indeed. I Look, from an analytical perspective, I, think I just watched five rounds of the same thing. You know, like in, my, in, in the first round, I got quite a few notes. And then the second round was less, third round was less, fourth round was less, and the fifth round was basically a couple of lines. Like The thing that frustrated me slightly was Cannoneer clearly after taking a round or two rounds of jabs from Strickland, realized that he wasn't going to get hurt with the shots that Strickland was throwing. Strickland throws a really nice jab, frankly. His stance and 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 how upright his body is doesn't pertain to him generating any power in his jab, but he throws a really nice jab. He's got long arms. He throws a nice right hand when he needs to. I just The lack of variety from Cannoneer to go and take this fight away from Sean Strickland was very, very frustrating to watch because when Cannoneer landed, whether it was a low kick, whether it was the right hand over the top, whether it was a check left hook, it was snapping Strickland's head back. And we saw as the rounds continued that there were da- there was damage appearing on Strickland's nose and there was a bit of blood and there was this and that. So if you can cause effect on your fighter, why are you not trying to finish the fight, right? I think when we talk about things from a grappling perspective, a pure grappling perspective now, the intention should never to be to win on points. The intention should always be to finish the fight as that's the most decisive outcome. And I think in MMA, the intention should be the same. Now, if your opponent is fantastic defensively and you just can't finish the fight, that's fine. There's no problem with that. You're just fighting a skilled opponent. But to not try to finish the fight, especially when you're in a fight where you know that you have the tools, the skills and the availability to finish the fight that I don't like. And for me, you know, my, the first line of my round three notes were why is neither of them breathing even slightly heavy or even sweating? And that to me is the, is, is the scale of the fight. It wasn't, it wasn't until there were two minutes left in the fifth round that both of them opened up a little bit. And I don't understand that from a confidence perspective. I don't understand that from a mentality or a tactical perspective because 
this should have been, from watching the first couple of rounds, this should have been a walkover for Jared Cannonier. But it wasn't. Yeah. And I honestly think, what I, I just at the first three or four rounds anyway, well, no, no, I'll fight. I, ju- I genuinely think Cannonier tried his best. I think he tried his best to win the fight. I think he tried to be- his best to, to get knockout. I agree with you. I don't think Sean Strickland did. But I, like, I just think this is a limitation in Jared Cannonier's game. I, I just don't think he's, you know, I, I, he's a good fighter, but I don't think he's a top, top level fighter. And for Sean Strickland, I like the, the, the weird thing about this, right, is I believe Sean Strickland is also fighting to the top of his game. This isn't a case of two lads not doing no say like like Adesanya is the example I give just because he's so talented and it feels like he's leaving a bit behind. I don't think it was a case for either of these guys, honestly. I, I just think that's their level. It was a little bit like, you know, Paddy Pimlet and Jared Garden last week. It, it wasn't that like neither of those guys performed or anything like that. It's just that they're like the bottom 10 percentile of the lightweights. Now, it just so happens the lightweight division absolutely amazing. And we see a guy like, you know, Ismagulov getting, you know, railroaded for three rounds against Saryukin. And he's, what, number 15 in the division or something. And he's would absolutely destroy, you know, the, the likes of him, the likes of guard. But in middleweight... It is, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I'd love if people were able to see that uh, shaking head there. But in middleweight, it just, it just isn't the case. You know, we, we see it a lot. Let's say, like in women's, one hundred and forty-five pounds versus like one hundred and fifteen pound division. It's night and day, you know, and that just happens in in certain divisions where it's it, there is a big difference in it. Um, and this was, it was just low quality throughout It was just real low quality throughout Like, I don't know if there was anything that Cannoneer could have done. The one thing, here's the one thing I think he could have done. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this and we'll move on and we talk about uh, a bit of the judging and stuff. I tweeted in the middle of the fight that I'd love to see Yoel Romero fight Strickland because it would be probably four and a half minutes, four and a half rounds of nothingness. And then Yoel Romero would just fly and fucking kick him into the, into the rails, into the bro 77. And... I wonder if Jared Cannonier and the word the word I thought of last night I was trying to think of a perfect word for it but cause trauma have traumatic fucking big moments in that fight where you just burst this lad where you flying in him because if you look at Strickland he's not going to make you pay for that you know what's the worst is going to happen he's going to land a big jab or maybe he'll throw one of those swinging right hands that he was so open for the left hook all night with like he's not he, 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 by his nature he's not a guy who makes you pay in a massive way for anything so pounce on that causes trauma throw, throw flying knees now okay you might get tired you might end up losing in the fifth round because of it or something like that M- maybe and maybe do it like you will Ramiro do it once or twice around Maybe that was a way the Cannoneer could have opened up and made the fight clearer, but there there are issues with that as well. But someone like Romero, I would say like Strickland is the perfect matchup for someone like him. Just the perfect matchup for that sort of game plan. And I think Cannoneer can actually fight that way as well because he has power, he has athleticism, he is fast and all. But I don't know, what, what do you think of that possibility? So I think the difference between your Romero doing it and Cannoneer doing it is that your Romero has absolute confidence that he's going to land. Whereas it looked to me, and the way that the fight spoke to me, was that Cannonier was not confident that he was going to land. And if he had two or three big moments in a round, 
and he missed two of them and landed one and Sean had jabbed him 700 times, then it's a closer round. It's still a close round. You know, I think if I was in Jared's corner, what I would probably try to get him to do from a tactical perspective is throw 15% or 20% match Strickland's output in terms of his power, right? Just touch him, just touch him, touch him, touch him, touch him, touch him, but touch him in loads of different areas. Go low, go middle, go high, go low, go middle, threaten grappling, just be an MMA fighter, frankly, right? And then when your time comes, when he's biting on feints as he was, then you throw a big kitchen sink or half a kitchen sink at him. Because otherwise what we get is this Strickland pouring a jab, not throwing it with any enough intention that he's going to get countered vastly. Cannonier trying to find a big counter and just nothing happening. Right. And um, yeah, uh, I, I try to defend fights most of the time when they're quote unquote boring, because from an analytical perspective, I can take things away. I find it very difficult to take many much away from this one. And it, this was one it wasn't even that boring. It was just bad. It was just low yeah. quality. Like there was stuff happening throughout the whole fight. It was just, it was just kind of bad stuff. Uh, let's talk about the judging for a minute here. And uh, first of all, obviously there's been a lot of judging talk over the last while. I was talking about it last week. I talked about it a lot in the Q and I was on with, with John Anik and, and Kenny Florian talking about it. And we're going to talk about it briefly here again for a second. I know we've talked about this before on, on speaker's corner and whether like, you know, cause for, for a while there, I kind of stepped back from the whole judging talk as much as I could. If a fight came up on the podcast, I was talking about it here, but I wasn't maybe gone outwardly, uh, as much as I, as I once was. And I, I've rolled that back because I have to, like, I, I can't, in, in, in good faith, in good faith, right? We here at Severe and May, we try to do it the right way. We say it all the time. Right. And, I, I believe what I'm saying, right? And I feel like I have had years of um, uh, backing with that in terms of factual analysis of fights with the criteria, having spoken to judges, having spoken to commissioners, having watched the fights over and over and over again through that analytical mind, to that, that analytical base, or an analytical mind, that analytical base of the criteria, right? And for me to see people who just roar, shout, and panic on a Saturday night, every Saturday night, every three weeks, with absolute bullshit and leave it be, I can't, in good faith, come on here and talk to people and go, oh yeah, I'm, you know, we're trying to do it the right way. Because that wouldn't, that wouldn't be it. That would not be it, right? So I'm going to continue to do it. And I believe I have logic on my side. I believe I have the facts on my side. And I believe what I'm saying and what I am trying to get out there is correct. And I believe a lot of other people are absolute bullshit artists or are just going with the latest thing. It's a robbery. It's a robbery. It's a robbery. Every week, every three weeks, every few weeks, you know, write an article saying, I'm not usually one to call it a robbery, but this was a robbery. Every three weeks. Every three weeks, I say, I don't like using the R word, but this was a robbery. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I have to countenance that. I have to. And uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to do it. So there you go. Um, and this couple of weeks has been ridiculous. The Paddy Pimlet one, look, that was to me, that was a bad decision because of the first round. 
We talked about it last week and all of that. Is there a need to call it a robbery? No. The star you can uh, can in your voice. Let's talk about the let's talk about the two of them. Um, the Saryuka one was a weird one, right? Because this was a this was a fight that Ishmagulov was probably only one or two punches away from winning in a weird fucking way. Like I thought he won the second round. I'm sure if you talk to the judges, they'd tell you, "Look, I thought Saryuka just had enough. There wasn't major." strikes from Ishmagulov. I thought the two that he landed towards the end of the round after one early if I'm not mistaken I was um, I, I was looking at it more clearly last night my memory is absolutely awful but I gave him that second round based on them there wasn't enough in the third and, or in the first I don't think but we talked about the lack of output and all of that I thought it was a big big issue for Saryuk and Indus when it comes to the judging when it comes to the fight itself absolutely and like there is a major disconnect as well between say the fighters and the criteria. Now, I think the fighters have a way more of an opinion and should than dopey journalists out there or verdict MMA idiots, right? And they, they should have a seat at the table, whatever that means, and we should discuss it. And I think they should have it explained to them and have a voice in that explanation being the actual criteria as well as how fights are scored, right? Because in my opinion, we talked about it before, Harry, I think the criteria now is written, as you said earlier on, to look for finishes in fights. And if you continue to look for a finish in the fight and it goes to the judge's decision, you should win. That's how the criteria is written as as a kind of an overall, if you were to give the uh, the cliff notes of it. And I think that's a good way of doing it, honestly. Did Saryukin fight this fight for three rounds looking to finish? I don't think anyone could say he did. Not a hope. Did did this Magulov? Probably for about 15 seconds of it. <laughs> so who should win that? No, but like, it, it was one of those fights where, it, it, and the top two fights were just kind of stalemates. They were real fucking stalemates of fights with one person absolutely dominating one of them and not the other one. But that's, we'll talk about the main event in a second. That's easier to countenance in terms of it was being close. The core main event, I can see by the look in your face. And I would tend to agree as well. And this is the thing, you know, people are always saying about me, oh, you don't even count grappling. You just want striking to be scored. I actually, and we've talked about this before as well, and I brought up Luke Thomas's point that he made. If the rules were changed to have, say, the... Uh, to, to adjust what effective grappling is and to score more um, to score more wrestling like Saryukin was. No problem. I will go by that if you want to change it to, to that. Will we get more boring fights? Will we get more John Fitches? Will we get more WrestleFests? Maybe. 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 But maybe that's better for MMA. Maybe that is what MMA is. No problem, right? Switch to that and I will score it by that. But that's not what we have right now. That's not what we have right now. Grand, that's, that's another point. The, the fight itself, Harry, in terms of the, of the judging, it it is one of those ones where I think we do find a bit of an issue that like one guy is kind of clearly dominating the fight, but isn't clearly dominating the scoring on it because he isn't really doing much in that. As someone who does a, a bit of grappling himself, what did what did you think of it? So, I don't often in my notes write about judging or scoring. Um, I'll have an opinion and I'll have sort of a based on listening to yourself and, and others, I have sort of a, an intuitive understanding, I think of what the score would be. And then I'll, as I say, I'll go and I'll check on Twitter and I'll look, whatever the first round. I, I write that. I think Armand's done enough. The second round I write 
and I'll, I'll read the, the, the last sentences. Demir landed four to seven impactful shots that round that snapped the head back of Armand Saryukin. However, Armand had loads of control time, but that doesn't score. And so the third round then, I said, okay, no problem. Armand takes that, 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 that scorecard. He takes his back twice. He looks for some cranks. There's a little bit of striking. I got no problem. And the control time, fine, no problem. The disconnect for me is, you've already sort of highlighted it, is if we say, okay, lads, who are the better fighter? Who was the better fighter? Who has the better skill set in that, in that fight? Well, the answers are, the answer's Armand Saryukin, right? Because if Demir Shmogulov wanted to keep it standing, he wasn't able to for 15 minutes. If Demir Shmogulov wanted to have it on the ground, he certainly wasn't winning those exchanges. And so you're correct that the scoring criteria doesn't necessarily relate to who the better fighter was, but this is sport, right? How many times in, in football have we seen the better team lose one nil because they just weren't able to put the ball in the back of the net. Exactly. The other team. Exactly. Right. And so we have to make a choice, right? We have to make a choice that do we want to create vague, unruly type scoring criteria to then say, okay, well, this fighter is better, quote unquote, however the fuck we want to try and quantify that. Or do we just accept there has to be a scoring criteria that is not perfect and never will be? Clearly the answer is the latter, right? Oh God, I'm, I'm so happy right now. I'm so happy. I'm I'm so happy that you said that. Now you didn't have to say it. This is, this is fantastic. Yeah, 100%. Look, I look at that fight and watching that fight, I'm watching it with two hats. The first time I watch it, I'm like, fuck me, I'm sorry, you can good any lads. He can absolutely do the grapplings. And then you watch it again and you're like, this is close though. Like from a scoring criteria, this is close because he's not able to land impactful striking with his punches because Demirish Magulov keeps him away at range. There are some beautiful kicks there, but low kicks and body kicks are generally not as impactful, immediately as impactful as a big strike to the head, right? You notice it. You're gonna, you're probably gonna be able to sell a body kick far better to a judge than you're gonna be able to sell a headshot. If somebody lands a, a cracking right hand on you and your head snaps back, that's impactful, right? If you're able to take a body kick and not make any reaction and it doesn't cause any redness, how how does a judge infer that that's whether that's more impactful than the headshot or not, right? So the opposite the, is sometimes the case as well because sometimes when you kick to the body, it makes this big loud noise. You know? sound. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I thought I've actually talked to judges about that specifically before, and they've kind of said that's a kind of a tricky part. You look at it and you you know you what a lot of new is see the impact it has directly after. Like if someone is lowering their hand to protect it, you know it scores more heavily. If they're not, you know whatever the case may be. But yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head really in in that one. It, but it's hard like it, it is something that i'm willing to 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 look at in terms of like if people if they want to change it if they want to do something but it's very hard to change that and not do exactly what you said there change it to to make it more too meaningful because that's what we had for ages where the likes of john fitch were able to win fights 50 45 by doing absolutely nothing it was it was a weird one and just maybe if, if uh, you're done on that to move to the main event i, I was thinking right so if you look at the the last, I don't know, 10 weeks of the Premier League, right? How many draws would be there? A lot. And let's say there's 100 games in the last 10 weeks. Is there 20 draws there? Let's say, let's say there's 20 draws. Two draws a week. I, I would say at least 20 draws in the last 100 games in the Premier League, right? You look at 
any sport, how many uh, you know, how many darts games come down and someone wins 6-5 because there has to be a winner? How many snooker games when it's best of 13 comes down to 7-6? How many times does it happen in all different sports that it's a 1-0 win, it's a 4-3 win, it's a 2-2 uh, a draw, it's a 4-4 four, four draw? Yet in MMA, we want that to never happen. Right, and we have designed a sport around that never happening. Right, through taking away ten tens, grant no problem. That's the rules we have now. Forget about whether we agree with it or not. Forget about that. We have a rule that says basically you can't give ten tens in a normal five minute round, and we have three rounds and five rounds. So we have an uneven number of rounds. We can't have ten tens. We have the odd, the odd ten eight maybe. So we have a draw the odd time, right? But if every round goes ten nine, we will have a winner every time. We have designed a system that almost always picks a winner. Yet we want a system where we have no debate about who the winner is. Right? And we acknowledge that 20% of athletic endeavors are extremely fucking close. And it's really hard to pick a winner. Those things do not meld together. Right. Those things do not work well together. And we have to realize that, right? You have two options here. We either pick a winner, or we move it to six rounds, or we make more 10 tens, and we have a shit ton of draws. We have two draws, three draws, four draws, and every single card. Pick one. Let's do it. Absolutely. There is your choice. People want to fix judging, right? That is the only fix. That is the only fix for close fights not being close fights and going one way. Draws. Draws are the only fix. Do I advocate for that? Absolutely fucking not. Let's keep it the way we have it. I'm happy the way we have it. But if you want, if people out there listening to this and they're t- idiots coming on after Cannoneer Strickland saying, oh, this shows that the, the criteria is fucked. Does... A nil-all game, does a two-all game, does a three-all game in soccer show that this, the scoring system is fucked? We need a different scoring system. Putting the ball in the net is not good enough of a scoring system because this was a close game. This was a draw. How fucking dare this be close? How dare it? Right? And if we had, <laughs> if we had golden goal, where you had to keep going until someone scores a goal, it could still be an even game and then we'll have one person winning. That's basically what we have here. That's basically what we have with the uneven amount of, of, of rounds. And I, I just, it baffles me sometimes that something as basic as that can't be in people's heads, right? And after the fight, every single time, every single time, there's something wrong with it. There's something wrong with the score. There's something wrong with the score, right? This was a split decision. Both of them could easily have won this fight 50-45, both of them could have, right? Now, the fifth round, maybe not. Okay, Jared Cannonier, I think, won that. Every other round. Sean Strickland got one score of 49-46. No problem with that. Cannonier could have won 50-45, 49-46, 48-47. He could have lost 48-47. He could have lost 49-46. Because four rounds were draws. Four rounds were 1-1 Man United versus Liverpool. Four rounds were that. What do you want me to do? Like, what do you want people to do if all of those things are close over and over and over again? I, 
Oh, we're looking for America, lads. That does not exist. We were talking about it briefly before, Harry. Half point systems. Would it have made a difference? No. Score the fight as a full. Would it have made a difference? Sure, you could have picked the winner. Just like we picked the winner here. Would it have made a difference? No. Totten up the scores. Would it have made a difference? No. More 10-8s. Would it have made a difference? No. Absolutely nothing can change a close fight from being a close fight. And we need to understand that. We we really need to just stop getting fucking insanely crazy over close fights. Because they're always going to be close fights. There's no way of separating them unless we want to not separate them. Unless we choose draws. Unless we choose draws and not separate them, we can't. Harry, thoughts? So... I only scored two rounds in this fight because there was only two rounds that I was confident of scoring. And that was round five and round three. And I gave them both to Cannoneer. Um, outside of that, I just put who the fuck knows. Like, yeah. I think for me, this is a proliferation of two things. And I've got three points to make. So the first point is that this is a proliferation of Dana White, the UFC, and just the overall media conglomerate that is the UFC pushing the idea that if a fight doesn't finish either by submission KO or TKO, that it's a bad fight and that there's something to critique about it. And that unfortunately inherently means that if a fight goes to decision, then everything that precedes that fight and everything that succeeds that fight is also bad or negative. So that means judging, that means scoring, that means all of those things that happen as a systemic uh, process for a fight not finishing is bad or negative. That's a problem. That's the first point. The second point is to just back up what we were saying about the scoring criteria. You can have political ideologies, right? Fascism, capitalism, communism, whatever. The idea of some of them is that no one person falls through the cracks. And what happens with every single one is that people inevitably fall through the cracks. So how can we expect any different in mixed martial arts? We can't. In the same with football. Man City might put 57 shots on the board and not score. And Brentford might have one shot and score. Are are Man City the better team? Probably. Did Brentford win? Yes. Is it close? Yes. Is it fair? No. And here in MMA, it's the same thing. We cannot expect to have a perfect system when you're asking two lads or two ladies to get inside a a steel locked structure and throw bones at each other. How can you expect perfection from something that is entirely chaotic? Second point. 100%. And a big issue with that as well, right, is that a lot of the people don't either understand or acknowledge the criteria in which these people are fighting. So even if there is a good decision via the criteria, people don't understand it and then call it a bad decision. So not only do we have a system can't be perfect, we have a system, in my opinion, that is unbelievably consistent but that people think is massively inconsistent because they either A, don't understand it, or B, and this is a bigger point because I think a lot of people do understand it now, don't 
follow it slash acknowledge it. That is a massive, massive issue here. And a way bigger issue than any problems in judging, way bigger issue than any of that. It's the communication and understanding of what is actually going on. Look at Dominic Cruz last night. Look at him talking about damage. This is a guy who was a multiple-time world champion, and he hasn't a bloody notion, and bloody is a fucking appropriate word there, not a fucking notion. Talking about damage when someone gets a nick, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. My goodness altogether. Any fi- final point in there, Harry? Yeah, I just want to make my third point, and that's that, to me, what's happened here is there's been a very valid critique of the scoring criteria in Armand Soryukin versus Demirish Magulov. I feel like that fight raises genuine questions of, okay, we've got a fella who's very, very, very dominant here, and it's a very, very close fight. That seems odd to me, whereas you've then got on the other side in the main event and a completely invalid critique of the scoring criteria, which is two lads have a close fight. The judges see it as a close fight and everyone riots. And I feel like because of that, people can't separate a valid critique and an invalid critique. And we're then left with this melting pot on Twitter and Sean Strickland comes out of the cage going left, right and center about the judging. And he puts out a video later saying, oh, look how many times I wobbled him. When did you wobble him? What fight were you watching? Because it wasn't the same one I was watching. Absolutely. And then he's like, oh, but I'm going to get off my soapbox now and go back. And it's like, dude, I understand. You've got half your pay and that's fucking ridiculous. I understand. It's a very close fight. But we have to be realistic here. And I think this is where there's going to be a disconnect for a long time. Fans that watch the sport, watch it because it invokes emotional responses from them, positive or negative. It gives them some reason to feel. It gives them some reason to engage with the process, with the night, with the fights, with the fans, with everything. It gives them an emotional response. It is our job as media members to be the opposite. And inherently, therefore, there will always be a disconnect until the seeds of rationality have been sown into the foundations of the fan base. And then as they sprout their emotions from the ground, they're sprouted with the correct soil. Until then, we're having this argument every week. And that's why I'm going to continue. I'm going I'm to continue. Harry, before we move on, can I just ask you one thing? Are you increasingly concerned about your cybercrime and people stealing your private data and invading your privacy are you? Are you concerned with that? As, as someone involved in tech and as someone involved with, with IT and all that, is that a concern for you? Well, it would be oh, if okay. I wasn't using a very trusty VPN, Sean. Which not VPN is that, Harry? I'm going to let you go on with the ad read because I think the viewers should hear from you. <laughs> NordVPN. It's a one-stop shop for all things cybersecurity. It's incredibly easy for Harry and myself and everyone to use. It's just one click and you're protected. You don't have to be a tech genius like Harry over there. Even an idiot like me can use it. With, Nord, with my NordVPN account, I have up to six devices protected. I no longer have to worry about hackers, malicious sites, pop-ups. And for the price of one coffee a month, I have complete peace of mind knowing that my devices are absolutely protected as well we all know that we have issues in mma we can't watch um some bellator and pfl and things in our location and you don't want to miss out and you want to catch them so what should you do you should use nordvpn to switch your virtual location and be able to watch those uh sporting events 
in that location. It's absolutely brilliant. It helps you save money as well. Uh, it helps you, say, as I said, stay protected from cybercrime and all of those great things in RVPN. You can switch your virtual location uh, on your device one click and you get access streaming over 60 countries at no extra cost. This opens up a Pandora's box of sporting entertainment but also the likes of Netflix and Amazon and all of those where you can uh, change your VPN. It's absolutely fantastic. So it's a price of a cup of coffee every month. Small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to a vast amount of entertaining content from all over the world. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal in by going to nordvpn.com forward slash severe mate to get a huge discount off your nordvpn plan plus four months for free it's completely risk-free with nordvpn's 30-day money-back guarantee so grab your excuse nordvpn deal by going to severemate.com or nordvpn.com sorry nordvpn.com forward slash severe man already fucked that one up to get a huge discount and uh four months for free it's completely risk-free try it now try it everyone do you know what's great as well harry I've been watching a lot of uh, more four recently, and that's free. And there's 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 ads on it and stuff. But God Almighty, if you're in in America or in Canada or somewhere, use your NordVPN and get more four. There's a load of stuff on it. The in betweeners and um, our our guy uh, Blake Harrison will be happy with that. That's on it. All the gra- I love Grand Designs. They're all on it. I found this new one, Grand Design Street. Great show as well. So yeah, anyone out there over Christmas? One thing I have saved so much money taking flights to Spencer and Ian's house so I can watch Bellator yeah. with Nord- yeah. Me legends. too. Yeah, they're absolute legends. legends. Absolute legends. Right. Uh, we'll run through the rest of this card because I know yourself and Spencer are going to be doing the takeaways and you will uh, concentrate on it more so check that out on Tuesday. Um, I want to mention a couple of people. Jake Matthews, first of all. This is a guy who, oh my God, has, is there any, and it's funny because Bobby Green is on this card as well, but is there any fighter in the UFC that blows as hot and cold as Jake Matthews? God almighty, he comes out, uh, almighty even, he comes out there and looks like a, a, an absolute world beater against Andre Filo, and then he comes in against Schmelzberger and gets boxed around the place for three rounds. Uh, how did this happen? What is it, Harry? Is there some big technical thing I'm missing out on, or is it just, what is it? Tell us. I think it's that Jake Matthews fights very well against a very specific style of fighter. And I don't know that he's able to switch that up uh, and be as effective as he can be. Andre Fiallo is the type of man that has some rudimentary footwork. He stands the same the whole way. He doesn't switch his stance too often. He keeps his hands in a similar position and he walks you down and he throws shots. Jake can then use those shots, especially because the range of somebody like Fialo is slightly shorter than Jake's. He can do what he was doing again or attempting to do against Samuelsberger, which is stay on the outside, use a bit of head movement, use a bit of rolling and counter. And he looked fantastic against Fialo when that happened. Samuelsberger carries a significant amount more power than somebody like Andre Fialo. It's not as technical. And so things come from weird angles and the feet move in strange ways and the body moves in strange ways. And the right hand that dropped Jake in the first round was right on the button. Jake didn't see it coming. Lands. Okay, in the second and third rounds, he starts to show his experience a little bit more and starts to draw those pocket exchanges from Semmelsberger where the range isn't quite as good as, as it is when he's you know a foot or half a foot out of the pocket. But... I, I'm with you. I text Spencer and I was like, how is this happening again? Like, 
on the on the pod, on the big podcast after Fiala win, you came out and you were like, I've always been a fan of Jake Matthews. I've always thought he's somebody that could, if he could put it all together, he could turn the corner and be a really, really good fighter. Let's hope that this is the start of that corner turn. And then Samuelsberger comes out and is like, yeah, that's funny. Watch this. And I just, it's wild to me. It's wild. It is. I, I actually... Uh... I need. I think I need to go back and watch both of those fights. I. Uh, I. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I, I really. because uh, I do still like Jack Matthews, and I still think he can be good. But God Almighty, it's just. I think to say like Bobby Drew Dober to an extent as well. It's but it's weird because it's it's another thing we talk about is we have to understand that these people are human beings, and it's not as easy as like going out and producing every single time. And if you like, I know we mentioned uh, association football a few times in this, but like. If you look at that down through the years, say someone like a Marcus Rashford, at his best, a devastating player. But how many times is he actually at his best? How many times does a guy like that actually show up? And he might have, you know, a good three months in a row and then he could be gone for a year and he could have another... It's, yeah, it's, I suppose it's too much to expect everyone to, to be like that. But it's also what makes the difference between the top guys and the guys who are never going to be at the top, you know, and... That, uh, that we is see the case. Three times a year, we see lads three times a year, and we expect massive things from them each time. Yeah. Like Sean Strickland, if you watch some of the footage coming out of his camp for this fight, he's super varied in striking, knocking lads out in sparring, doing all this stuff, and then he comes in and just throws a jab. Right? Like I agree yeah. with you that that there is a disconnect there where there are you know we've got some we've got human beings. That's what we're dealing with right now. And when we talk about Albazi and Costa, or whether we talk about them, I think that's the same thing. We got we got human beings here, Drew Dober and Bobby Green. We've got human beings. It's yeah, it's a it's a mad old game. Judges aren't human beings though, you know, they're of no concern to anyone, you know. They're, anyway. Um before we move on, eight o'clock, Monday. We're doing a Severe May Christmas party on Zoom for Patreon people. Patreon.com forward slash Severe May Podcast. I will send the link there. Uh, we're just going to have a bit of a chat. We're not going to have like big guests or anything like that. Just the Severe May lads, the Patreon people. If you're listening to this, sign up to Patreon and come over. Or give, if I know you, give me a DM. I'll send you on the link. And uh, we'll have a few chats. Literally just a few cans. If three people show up, we'll have three of us chatting. If 30 people show up, we'll have 30 of us chatting. I'm, I am I just want a, a bit of a crack. You know, I know Quill's just coming. Harry, you're coming, aren't you? We're all coming. We'll be there. So join us, 8 o'clock, Monday. And uh, do what I said. I should have announced that at the start of the podcast, but I forgot. So there you go. Um, anything else massive that that uh, stood out to you in the card, Harry, before we move on? There was, there was, look, there was yeah, some... Harris head kick was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I was both impressed with Drew Dober, but really impressed with Bobby Green. I thought he looked fantastic. Just until, Bobby Green, isn't it? He's so it good is. early. And then it's like, uh, and it wasn't even necessarily him falling off a cliff here or anything. I think it just Drew Dober came forward and landed a big fucking shot. I will say one thing. And, you know, you, you, you tell us to say what we think. Drew Dober is slowing down. He's still very powerful. He's still a good athlete. But there were moments in that fight when he takes one shot in the pocket and he freezes for half a second, takes another two shots, and then he's like, oh, yeah, I need to get out of the pocket here. And, oh, I need to... Okay, cool. Like, Drew Dober's going to be one to watch to see if he begins to decline over the next little while. He's getting older as well. I didn't realize that. He's 34 years of age. Yeah. He doesn't look it like. You wouldn't think he's 34. The only other fight that I'll, I'll, I'll note is Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Saeed Yukub Kakrakmanov. Um, I mean, the this is 
this is big risk, big reward. In the first round, he jumps on two guillotines, ruined like is ruined by both of them. Is held down, beat up, positionally dominated, and then in the second round he goes for the rear naked, the rear naked guillotine or the ninja choke, however you want to call it, and manages to lock it up. And oh, I felt so bad for for, for Kagwakman. I was like, he performed so fucking well in that first round. But we'll talk about more. We'll talk about more of that in the takeaways. Hundred percent. Cape was very good as well. You're going to talk about that, obviously. And uh, Fakhri Dov, you mentioned earlier as well. Some very very and Corey McKenna, your uh, your country one was uh, was uh, was good as well. Not it wasn't such a merry Vlismus for Cheyenne. There was it. Indeed. Right. Nice. Let's let's move on. Um, I know you had like a, 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 a maybe I got you a little bit more here, but I know you had a cursory look at the uh, the Bellator versus Risen card, and uh, it's it's a very interesting card, right? Because I watched all of these Risen guys. I've done a preview. It's coming out for it soon. And I, also, Mumu said you were thinking, "What the fuck are you talking about, John? This is in thirteen days' time. We this is the last normal podcast of this year." We will have a podcast every Sunday, as usual, every week, forever. Um, next week, I mean, myself and Spencer haven't not recorded it yet, but the State of the UFC is back, everyone's favorite podcast. Um, then we will have the awards after that on Sunday, and then we will have the 20 ball predictions for the year, which were uh, bought myself and Graham have, uh, before he fucked off to, to Brazil. We, uh, we recorded them, so they're... Uh, yeah, Alex Caceres not going to win knockout of the year because the the awards <laughs> the awards are already done. Sorry, Alex, my apologies. But uh, yeah, this card though the Bellator versus Risen card, it's a lot of jujitsu guys on it. Clever uh, Kaike Erbst, um, Roberto de Souza in the top two fights, pretty much all jujitsu guys and nothing else, and they're fighting fucking Patricia Pitbull and AJ Mickey. So I wonder how that's going to go. Um, I'll talk to you, you. You could come in those fights in a second. Or just the, the other three fights the, on the card there. Uh, Takeda against uh, Rabdanov. You know, Takeda go to all around the fighter, but Rabdanov should win that. And Haraguchi against Hiromasa Akikubo. They fought twice before. Uh, I was able to find one and a half of those fights. Um, Haraguchi won both of them. Uh, Hiro is a wrestler, but Haraguchi was able to just wait, win the transitions, get on top, win that fight, and I think he will win it again. I think the biggest chance, I think out of these five fights, I think Bellator will win without a shadow of a doubt three of them. Um, the only fight I can see is Sol Chul Kim against Juan Arquileta. Um, I think I could see him taking him down, maybe pushing him against the Finns to win in that fight. But if it turns into a striker match, I think Arquileta will win it. But Kim is like a, a juggernaut, go-forward fighter, and I don't think he will uh, he will win that one. What do you think of the top two fights? So Pitbull against Erbst and McKee against uh, uh, Satoshi. Uh, Roberto de Souza, who I, I don't know, you probably know him. He is a very good jujitsu guy, isn't he? Um, any chance? So I'm really excited for the ground exchanges against McKee and Souza. Um, we know that McKee is happy to play off his back. He he's a well-rounded MMA fighter from everywhere, but but he's happy to play on his back. He's hop, he's happy to look for unconventional submissions and strikes off his back. I'm really really excited to watch the exchanges in that one. But I do feel like if AJ McKee wants to keep it on the feet, he probably can. And then that means it's going to be a tough old fight for Roberto de Souza. Um, and I think Pitbull probably runs through herbs, to be honest. I don't see that being super competitive. I don't think Pitbull's going to get taken down. Um, I think he can keep it on the feet. And then I think he's, he's very, very, very good on the feet, right? Underrated, I think, Pitbull. Underrated. Yeah, he, he's a guy who's probably 
better at controlling a fight uh, at range for a guy of his size than maybe anyone in the history of the sport. And that, that's, that, like, can you think of someone who's as outsizes him in a lot of fights and controls? I, I, I find it hard. Maybe at heavyweight, maybe a Mark Hunt at heavyweight, maybe, or something, but not even not even necessarily him. I, I just think he's he's so good at it. And when you, like, you're, my notes on, on a guy like Clever, like, he's good wrestling, which is very hard to use because of the range that Patricio keeps. He throws a few front kicks, but, you know, front kicks against Patricio, I and mean, he's so far away and no good. He's good on top, probably not going to get on top. Lovely attacks from half guard, probably not going to get there. Lo- loves to look for the head and arm choke, probably not going to be there. Uh, he's unbelievable in scrambles. Patricio is probably just going to sprawl every time he comes near him and not allow him to scramble. Loves to take the back, loves to pull guard. Probably not going to happen. And he's absolutely atrocious on the feet. <laughs> I have on my notes here, right? Last four words Patricio will eat him. <laughs> that, that those are my last four words. So we'll see if we'll see if that happens. I think, as you said, though, I think that the AJ McKee versus Roberto Satoshi Souza is a lot more uh, interesting of a fight because, as you said, it, like AJ has won what three of his last four fights by submission or something like that. He does like the fight on the ground and he does get taken down the odd time as well. And like Souza is unbelievable on the ground. Um, I was talking in the group about it a couple of weeks ago, but he does this very interesting thing. First of all, he goes for takedowns, but then he kind of forces you to sprawl and pulls guard under your sprawl almost. But then, if he doesn't catch you in something immediately, he attempts to separate and do the exact same thing again. So he's, the, like I, I talked about Cannoneer, you know, looking for the, the big moment, the big trauma and all. That's exactly what Satoshi does with grappling. He's looking for that initial submission every single not every single time but a lot of the time and he'll break away if he doesn't get it he's his strength is insane the dexterity of him when he i was watching one of his fights he kind of he didn't quite take someone's back do you know the way when kind of you're kind of falling off or you have like half a side maybe someone has you uh, your leg hooked outside you can't quite take the back he was holding usually in that position you either get past it and take the back or you go in and you know you fall to your knees and maybe land a few uppercuts under the arm or something like that he held on he just held on from like half a position. The unbelievable strength of him. He's lovely triangles. He can hit hard as well. He's not the best striker in the world. Awful. I've done his striking as, but he does hit hard and he throws to try to get inside. Uh, but, you know, AJ McKee is probably going to control this fight from range as well. He is a guy who likes to throw when he throws. And he is a guy, I think, who believes in himself. Will he go to the ground? Will he try to go to the ground with Satoshi? I don't know, but yeah, it's definitely a more interesting one, I think. And I think there is a, a possibility that Satoshi wins, but I think AJ McKee is, um, yeah, is is more than likely going to win. Do you do you see anywhere, Harry? Especially in, with a guy like this who is trying to find a different way to make his jiu-jitsu work. That someone like this can make their jiu-jitsu work at a high level against someone like AJ McKee. Yeah, for sure, for sure, because he he understands what he is. And he understands the nuances of the position and he understands what works and what doesn't work. And what we've seen, like Mackenzie Dern, for instance, obviously an extremely high level grappler as well. When she pulls guard, if it doesn't work, there's not a, okay, cool. I'm going to quickly get back to my feet. I'm going to close the distance again. and I'm going to pull guard again. It's a, oh no, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to try to force this position. Whereas for Satoshi, he's, as you said, he's like, oh, I, I've looked for submission X. 
okay, grand, it's not there. I'm going to now completely retreat. I'm going to wait for the next scenario to come up and I'm going to look for submission X or submission Y. And I'm going to use these sorts of things. So I'm going to take you out of your game. Whereas Mackenzie Dern's like, I'm going to be on the bottom. And if you want to land some strikes on me, that's fine because I'm going to try and look to do the grappling things a la Paul Craig, but you know, less extreme. So Toshi's like, no, no, we're going to play my game only. And you're going to be defending my submission attempts all of the time. And you have to come to me because you need to hit me. Please do. And I think that is the way. If you're going to be not one-dimensional, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if you want to put your specialism points into a specific skill set, then you have to be aware, very cognitively, very cerebrally aware of what that means for your fighting style and dictate yourself in that way. And that's what he does. And is it going to be successful all the time? No, no, it's not. But can it be? Yeah, yeah, of course it can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope that's enough promotion for Josh Sampson there of that, of that card, so that, that, that should be good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's. I wouldn't say it's a great card, to be honest. It's, uh, yeah. There aren't that many. I'll watch all the fights, and I'll be happy to watch them, but, like, would I say there's a guaranteed barn burner in any of them? Probably not, no. So, yeah. Um, Cage Warriors, then. Cage Warriors 148. This is a very, very good, very interesting card. Three championship fights on it. Um, before that, on the undercard, there's a lot of very good fighters on it. Samuel Bark is Bark, 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 back, back on the card uh, after uh, absolutely flatlining to be a Surreal, who's also on the card. He fights uh, Damon Wilson coming over from uh, from the US. Uh, Nathan Fletcher is back here. Uh, he's fighting Alessandra Giordano. Uh, I was doing the preview of Brad, it'll be out in Sherdog in, in a, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, and he was saying, this Giordano lad is amazing. I haven't seen much of him yet, but, you know, Nathan Fletcher's a very good fighter, so that'll be interesting. Jason Blair, who does a lot of uh, training with Paddy Pimblett, very good wrestler, he's on the card. Nick Bagley is on the card, uh, as well, Darren Stewart, coming back here, is on the card. Big fight for Darren Stewart there, after a lot of losses in a row. Wilson Hayes, the legend, is on the card against Thomas Granval. Watched a bit of uh, Granval uh, coming in. An interesting kind of cat um, good wrestler can strike a bit but is very kind of for a 135 pounder doesn't throw much but it works for him so it's interesting but the three big title fights your countryman so, oh, wait is Sam Creasy Welsh I thought Sam Creasy was Welsh he is Welsh isn't he no he's not Welsh why do I think Sam Creasy was Welsh that's weird Creasy is like a you could I think it's a Welshish name but yeah I don't yeah. think he's Welsh I don't know what, what, you interviewed Sam Creasy didn't you I was I like, when you interviewed him, I just thought he had a Welsh accent. <laughs> Why the fuck did I think Sam Creasy was Welsh? Anyway, I'm pretty sure I called him Welsh in that brief. Anyway, he, he's fighting Shaz Hack in a rematch of a fight they had years ago. Uh, Modestus Pukowski is fighting Chuck Campbell and Christian Neary Duncan is fighting Jesse Taylor in a very, very interesting fight. I Look, Creasy against Hack, I think it's going to be a... Well... I think it could be a wrestling battle, whoever wins it. The first fight was, uh, you know, a little bit like that. And I, I was watching a couple of both of their fights. I didn't really want to go back and watch their first fight, and I probably will in the next couple of weeks, but I just wanted to see what they normally fight like when they're not fighting each other because they mightn't necessarily fight the same way again. And, like, both of them are well-rounded. I think Hack likes to wrestle more than Creasy, but Creasy likes to wrestle as well. There could be a, a big meeting there. I think Bukowskis, Chuck Campbell, someone's getting sparked in a round. Chuck Campbell absolutely put Andy Clamp into the shadow realm in his last fight. He fights an AKA as well, so his takedown defense is pretty good. Bukowski's probably the more all-around skilled fighter, 
but at that weight class, you you catch one hand, and and that's kind of it. We'll talk about the main event in a second. What do you think of of those two fights, uh, Harry? Um, your 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 non countryman Sam Creasy can he keep the title and Bukowskis as well with the uh, vacant light heavyweight title? Can he take it? So Bukowskis, I don't know. Against Mick Stanton, he looked a little gun shy, right? He didn't look to be able to really ever get into the groove of things. Mick sort of came into the fight a little bit as it ended. Um, but Modeskis is a good athlete. This will be by far the, the toughest task of Chuck Campbell's career. Chuck Campbell's four guys with almost always winning records, right? Other than his debut, he fought another debutant. So I think he's an unknown commodity. Having a Cage Warriors title fight at six, six fights in, seven fights when he gets in the cage is is an interesting one, but we know that light heavyweight is not the most active division in the world. Um, for Sam Creasy and Shad Chak, I think that this is, to me, the most interesting title fight on the card because well, obviously Shad has beaten Sam Creasy before, but I think Sam has come on leaps and bounds in his career since, not just in his physical frame and his overall uh, physical condition, but also the way he fights and his his confidence in his abilities. Certainly the when when I've interviewed him, he's he's been very cerebral about the way that he prepares and and who he is and and how he portrays himself in in the octagon. Um but we have seen before that Sam has been, you know, manhandled and, and held down and, and, held, and kept down, right? And dominated and controlled on the ground. We saw it a little bit with Luke Shanks. And I think for Shadchak, uh, if that's a, a route to victory for him and he's been developing at the same rate, that could be very, very interesting. Indeed. Indeed. The main event then, some people don't like this fight. And I, I think it's like, I think it's your old school UFC test, wrestler test, veteran test for an upcomer. I I think it's I think it's very interesting. You have the history there of Jesse Taylor being the former champion, and uh, oh, uh, Pard made a great point as well. And I'm going to steal this. because We're going to hear it here before you hear it with him. But he beat uh, Chris Fields to win the title in Ireland. Uh, oh God, he beat someone else uh, in Wales. Who did he beat? Uh, oh, I can't remember who it was, but whoever it is, you might be able to look it up there, Harry. Beat someone else to win the title in Wales, and now he could be, beat Christian Leroy Duncan to win the title in England. So an Englishman in England. Who was it? John, John, Phillips, John Phillips. Phillips. Okay, yeah. A Welshman in Wales, an Irishman in Ireland, and now he could beat an Englishman in England to win the title, which is, is cool as well. But like, Jesse Taylor, he's an unbelievable wrestler. Like, he's devastating on top. Like Christian Leroy Duncan is is more of a striker. He can grapple. He can do it all as well. Like I, I must have an Ian do the podcast the other day, and I asked Ian, and maybe I'll ask you the same question here. But and, and uh, if you could pick one person on the local scene at the moment, say the UK Irish scene, who you think not to be a top fifteen fighter, not a top five fighter in the UFC, a UFC champion, if you could pick one out, who would it be? My answer was Christian Leroy Duncan. That's the, the ability I think he has. I think he's that good. I think he's absolutely amazing. Now, it might all work out well. I might be wrong. He might lose this fight, but he might come back and he might do it. Who knows? I just think he's really, really, really good. And I think this is a big test for him. I, I'm very interested in this fight. I, I don't know. You're not as, you don't seem to be as interested in it as me, are you? So I really like the fight for the reasons that you gave that it's the UFC test. I think this is a very necessary test for Christian Leroy Duncan. Um, he obviously had a couple of back-to-back wins over Will Drago Curry. He's now looked fantastic in, in his last two outings specifically. And he just has that touch of death, right? That he's so accurate and he's so clinical with when he strikes. He's so fluid. He's so creative. When he touches you, people just go to sleep, right? And for Jesse Taylor, I feel like 
the likelihood of him getting back to the UFC and having a run, I, I'm not that high on. But couldn't he come in here, win a belt and dine out a bit as the Cage Warriors champion for a while? Yeah, of course, of course he can. Yeah, yeah, of course he can. But I feel like the intrigue for this fight is not what can Jesse Taylor do. It's how does Christian Leroy Duncan look? Right. And, and that to me is, is fine. I don't have a problem with it necessarily, but um, in terms of Christian Leroy Duncan winning a title in the UFC, I don't know. And is there a fighter? I mean, I think Paul Hughes is probably skill for skill. I don't think he's going to win a title at 145, but I think overall, skill for skill. He is a fantastic fighter um, and could do really good things in the UFC. Same as Jordan Vujanic. I think he could do great things in the UFC as well. Again, I don't th- I don't see either of them winning a title at 145, but that talks more about the strength of 145 than it does about, you know, their skills. But I think for that point alone, I, as I'm thinking about it more, Christian Lerner Duncan might be a shout like middleweight. Yeah. Middleweight. Shit enough. You know, like you could, you could see Christian Lerner Duncan go in and, you know, beat a fucking Sean Strickland. He has more beat, fight, he's more fights than the champion right now in Middleweight. <laughs> he's, he's only seven fights in. Or close, anyway. Makes so, a valid point. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd I pick Christian Air Duncan tomorrow to beat Sean Strickland. I think he'd beat him. Do you think so? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I think, I, I think it depends. Like, the other side of this is Sean Strickland, whether we think Middleweight is shite or not, is still a top 10 fighter at middleweight. And I don't think we know, we don't have any quantifiable data as to what uh, Christian Leroy Dunkson is inside the UFC. And this is the the exact point of why he's fighting Jesse Taylor. A guy that has been in there, has done the things in the UFC. If Leroy Duncan comes out and smokes Jesse Taylor inside two rounds, then we're like, all right, just fucking put him in. Just first fucking send him and let's see what happens, right? If he comes out and he wins a, you know, a, a fifth round, late stoppage after Jesse Taylor's kept him on the ground for four rounds, we learn more. And this is exactly to your point. This is why this fight is great is because we're going to learn a lot more about Christian Leroy Duncan. A hundred percent. Very interesting. Uh, last thing, KSW went down um, last night over in Poland. Uh, unfortunately, Karen McDally ended up, uh, ended up losing. Um, we, Sean, I think Sean Dini was tweeting out all the results. He'll be able to check them all out there. But the main event uh, was the main one. And uh, that kind of went exactly the way everyone probably would have predicted if Pudzianowski hadn't have beaten Matarla last time out with that big right hand. Um, Kaladov was just clearly... The, the superior fighter uh, even when it got into like strength battles he was like judo tossing Pudzianowski all over the place putting him on his back beating the living daylights out of him Pudzianowski turtled up hit him got the got the back flattened him out hit him a lot of shots and Pudzianowski ended up tapping the strikes I don't believe I don't think that was the first time he tapped the strikes either but uh, yeah it was uh, it was mad like the big crowd our big fucking stadium it was insane even our guy Sean Ninny was in the cage after the Karen McNally fight he was like well, what's, he, what's that lad doing there but um, yeah uh, KSW again putting on these massive shows and I hope they come back to Ireland because it was it was so great when they were in Ireland. It's brilliant to see KSW out there. And, uh, you know, they're like we, myself and Ian just recorded a chasing back there the other day. But God almighty, after that, I think they probably might be able to rise one or two spots after putting on such a massive fight and such a massive event uh, as well. KSW are, are unbelievable. Kaladov, as, uh, uh, where, where's Kaladov been in your radar over the years? He's a legend of the fight game, a legend of a fighter. And it's good to see him putting on and getting some great wins as well, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've known about Kaladov for a long, 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 long time, right? And KSW for almost his entire career. Part of me would have loved to have seen him in the UFC, right? And to see him throw it up against some of those heavyweights and chop it up against some of those heavyweights. And I'll only uh, I'll only make one disagreement with that fight. Like when it came to strength battles, I thought it was I thought Pudzianowski was the far stronger man, and I think it, it looked like that. But Kaladov was like, "Oh, you actually don't have a clue what's happening here, though." That's fair, yeah. And so Kaladov just cut a few angles, and Pudzianowski was like, "But I'm squeezing him. Why am I on the floor?" And then all of a sudden, Kaladov just mauls him. And that's not to say that Kaladov isn't a strong man. He certainly is a strong man. But in comparison to the strong man, right, Kaladov was like, this is fine. I have no problem. I'm just a way better technician than him. And used that to his supreme advantage. And it was an absolute mauling, a train wreck. Yeah, fair play to Kaladov. Legend. Fair play. Fair play indeed. Right. We will... uh, uh, Oh, last thing. Last thing. Uh, do you see the California Athletic Commission have uh, made a new rule that uh, combat sports judges can't travel uh, w- within 24 hours only as far as Nevada or something like that? Uh, this is just the most pointless what, fucking idi- idiotic rule ever. It's like, yeah, because Doug Crosby, you know, he flew across the country to, to judge a fight last week and everyone was like, oh my God, this is a massive problem. Yeah, well, why have you no one ever mentioned it before? Like, if you think about it, right, let's say Bellator is on in Dublin on a Friday, right? Bellator ends at like 11 o'clock. You go to bed, you're a judge, you sleep for nine hours, wake up at eight o'clock, you fly to New York, you, you you know, you arrive there at three o'clock, you go check into your hotel room, go to sleep for, for three hours, have a bit of food, go up and judge a fight. Like, why can't you do that? Like, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't see any problem with that. I see zero, like, why can't you judge a fight? I, I, I you know, I, I'm in, uh, I'm in Limerick here, right? Judge a fight on, uh, on a Friday night. Go home, go to bed, in bed by 12 o'clock, wake up at eight o'clock the next morning, drive six hours to Belfast, right? I'm there by fucking one or two o'clock, check into my hotel room, sit around for a few hours, judge a fight that night in the, in Belfast. Why why couldn't why could not why couldn't I do that? Why it makes zero sense. It's just people who don't understand anything about judging and the problems trying to roar and oh you know oh my god yeah, honestly this is and all you're doing all you're doing all you're doing is taking money out of judges hands it's already a terribly paid fucking endeavor and it's a do you know what as well a massive massive part of this we talk about judges improving and judges coming up and judges getting better now you're cutting down the amount of fights that these judges are able to actually judge they're not allowed to have as many fucking uh, outings. They're not as allowed to judge as many fights as they previously would have been because of this stupid, pointless fucking rule. God almighty. What is this idiocy? Is this not creating a universal rule for something that we should have just been like, that's a bad judge. We won't let him judge fights no more. Of course, of course. And it's only California, thankfully, hopefully. I, I don't think Mike Mazzoli would be stupid enough to institute this, honestly. Uh, like California, uh, and I love, uh, I was t- talking to California Commissioner a few times. He's a great guy and all of that. But he also loves to see, like, Ariel roaring about a problem and then go, oh, I'll change, I'll do, oh, I'll talk about, oh, let's talk about open score. Oh, yeah, we'll try that out. Just because he thinks it'll make him good and he'll play get Ariel or other people. Like, this... Uh, this is like universally not, like now 
do I think someone should uh, catch a flight, arrive there five minutes before the event, and be able to judge in or fly from fucking Australia? Absolutely, no, absolutely not. Within reason, absolutely no problem at all. But if you can prove and show it's within reason, uh, there's uh, there's no problem with this. There's absolutely no problem with this, and it's it is bizarre. It is really, really, really fucking bizarre. But anyway, we'll uh, we leave it there. And uh, yeah, as I said, Monday eight pm over on Zoom Patreon. The link will be there. I'll post it about 5 to 8, 10 to 8 on Monday. Bring a few cans. We'll have a few shots. I saw my guy Bin the Ben Davis there said he's going to join us. Twitter personality as well. So we'll uh, we'll have all the cracks, lads. Thank you to everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Harry, see us out there with a, with a quote. Go on. These things do happen in MMA. <laughs> we'll see you next year. For me, the fight that I'd be looking forward to the most would be Michael Villan Page versus Richard Kiley. Richard Kiley and Michael Villan Page! Richard, I spoke to you before about uh, Michael Villan Page and. And what? Well, you have the microphone there, okay? We had a conversation prior to his fight with Paulie and Daly. What happened? Well, you called it the way it went. Yes, I said it was going to be a snooze fest, and that's exactly what it was. Uh, people are down you. People called you a cannon and everything. Is that something you've kind of brought with you through camp and are like using it? I don't mind people, the uneducated, calling me cans. I, I listened to your podcast. I had issues. To, I had to. I took issue with the stuff that you said. Now you're you're back with, with all due respect, Richard Three and One. A lot of people call him a cannon, stuff like that, when this fight was made and. You know, it's, to me, it's an interesting voice. You know, I strongly disagree with it. I think I actually find it a bit, a bit disrespectful, and that's why I'm calling you on camera. What exactly did I say that was uh, bad? You said it's going to be a fun fight. Even if it comes out and Michael Vinn and Page win in two or three minutes or whatever, I think it'll be a fun fight. This is a fight of fine margins. One of us is going out. I have no doubt that one of us is going out. But mark my words, I fully intend on it being him. Richard Kiley is a guy, maybe underrated is the wrong word, but he probably is underrated. I'm interested to see if maybe Kylie can prove some of the doubters wrong. But I'm going to look forward to proving you wrong. Sean, I like you as a person, but the stuff you said I had a serious issue with. It'll be a great night, and like I said, if I wasn't fighting, I'll be watching it in the, it'll be watching it in the stands. Richard, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast as well. <laughs> thanks well, very much. Declaring a winner. Bye.